It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Restoring order to your financial chaos. Retirement, investing, taxes. You've got financial questions, he's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. But this is one of those shows where I'm going to have some um, musical accompaniment. I love those shows. So, but it's not typically like I normally put on like either Tone Loke, Motley Crue, or something that... Hold on, didn't you put on ABBA one time? You might have to edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I have been watching TV recently, and I try not to be a victim of the blatant manipulation of what they try to do out there on, on a lot of the network TV channels. But every few years, I fall prey to it. And I don't know if it's because we just came through the July 4th holiday, but I have been falling prey to something. So I'm going to play something that I went out and purchased just because I was so excited about it. So, Bo, here we go. You ready? I'm ready. This was not in the pregame discussion either, so this is all fresh to you as well. Do you feel your hair on your arms starting to stand up a little bit? Uh Uh-huh, just a little bit. I don't think you're being legit, though, like I am. Look at that. Does it not feel like the Olympics are here? I mean, this is one of the things. I actually am one of these hokey people that every four years, I start getting kind of excited that that the summer games are here. So I've been watching all the time trials over the weekend, the swimming, um, the track and field events. You know, it's it's been fun, and my you know, and I have a, an eight-year-old daughter, and she swims also competitively. So it's kind of been fun for us to watch the swimming competitions as as they're getting the qualifying, uh, everybody ready for the Olympics, and and who's going to be on the team. It, we've thoroughly enjoyed it. So I just want to draw attention to it because we have just crossed the July Fourth threshold, and um, it's kind of fun to to have that that pride within your country. Now, for those of you who are joining us, this is the Money Guy Show. I know this is a little weird in a financial podcast to be talking about the Olympics, but that's kind of how we do things. We're a little quirky. We're a little off the wall. But if you hang around long enough, we'll get through um, our personality issues where we actually try to goof off a little bit. You will learn something on personal finance. Today, we um, actually have designed the show around an email from a listener, Michael, who sent us asking about paying off your mortgage. So we're going to cover that. But before I do that, I need you to just give me a little bit more slack. Bo didn't know I was going to do this either. I wanted to read a little bit of a column that came out in today's Wall Street Journal. Now, when you go to the op-ed in the Wall Street Journal, I don't read a lot of those here on the podcast because a lot of them are political. And we try to stay away from politics on the show. I know a few of you say we don't, but we really do try to, to stay out of politics. But there was something that Peggy Noonan had put out there this week that gave me a little bit of that country pride in the United States here. When I say country pride in the South, I have to be careful because a lot of you guys think I'm probably talking about Tim McGraw or something like that. But I'm talking about pride in my country of the United States. There's an op-ed she did that came out today. It's called, Is That Allowed? And then it answers itself and it says it is here. And it talks about just immigration stories and, and kind of things that warm your heart. And so I want to kind of read what Peggy had here, and then we'll get into the financial stuff. But I thought this was really gave me a lot of pride about our country. It says, it goes on and says, it says something about the health of a nation when they're lined up to get in as they are still with America. It says, of course, that, that compared with a lot of the rest of the world, America's economy isn't such a, in bad shape. But it says more than that. People don't want, want to come to a place where they know they'll be treated badly. 
They want to don't want to call your home their home unless they know you'll make room for them in more than economic ways. And so this July 4th, a small tribute to American friendliness, openness, and lack of, what to call it, the old hatreds. They dissipate here. In Ireland, Catholics and Protestants could be at each other's throats for centuries. But the minute they move here, they're in the Kiwanis Club together. It's so true. I mean, and it's so, and, and I'm totally jumping in here. We have um, Irish neighbors in, in, in my neighborhood because we, we have a big multinational corporation that has a location near my neighborhood. So we have a lot of people that do engineers that come in from Ireland. And it is interesting to them, listen to them discuss the whole battle between the Catholics and Protestants over there. So they even, um, they even talk about how they look at people's names and they can kind of start to, to, to decipher whether they're Catholic or Protestant, Protestant based upon their last name. But th- that's an interesting observation. She goes on, she says, the Mideast is a cauldron. But when its um, residents move here, they wind up on the same PTA committee. It sounds sentimental, but this is part of the magic of America. And the world still knows that even if we, in our arguments, especially about immigration, forget. So she goes on and she says, there's three stories of American friendliness. I'm not going to go through all of them. I'm just going to read this first one. It says, there was a teenager who came here with his parents and younger brother. They arrived in New York and got an apartment on 181st Street and Broadway. He spoke little English, but went right into public school. The family needed money. So when he was 16, he transferred to a night school and got a day job at a shaving brush factory. He wore big, heavy rubber gloves and squeezed bleaching acid out of the bristles. Soon, he went part-time to City College, and then he entered the U.S. Army. I feel almost like um, the rest of the story. Remember the um, Paul Harvey, you know, God rest his soul. You don't even know who Paul Harvey is, do you? I got nothing. Paul Harvey does stories like this all the time, but then... He tells you this whole story, and then at the end, he tells you who the famous person was at the end, the rest of the story. So I'll continue on. That's another thing that makes me feel old. Um, This is a classic immigrant story. It could be about anyone. But the teenager went on to become an American Secretary of State, and his name is Henry Kissinger. Here is another part of the story that is classic, how Americans treated him. The workers at the factory were older than he was, mostly Italian-Americans, some second generation. They wanted to help him part of things. They wanted to make him part of things. So they started taking him to baseball games. And this is what Henry wrote. He said, it was the summer of 1939. I didn't know anything about baseball, he remembered this week. Now here he was in the roaring stands at Yankee Stadium. About the people in the bleachers, he said, the most striking thing was the enormous friendliness, the bantering. In Hitler's Germany, I saw crowds. I'd go the other side of the street. Here, no sense of looming threat that I would say was a very American part of my experience. He was enchanted by the game, the subtlety, the little nuances. You can watch what the strategy is and how they judge what the opponent is likely to do by the way the fielders position themselves. Bo, you're a baseball guy. You know this stuff. But it's a game that combines leisure with high dramatic moments. And there was this man called Joe DiMaggio. The factory workers would sort of say, if you take a look at Joe DiMaggio, you'll learn something about the country. DiMaggio was infinitely graceful as a fielder. He would sort of lope towards the ball. Nothing dramatic. He didn't tumble. He didn't strut. And he made it look effortless. He didn't stand there 
wagging his bat. He would just stand there with his bat raised. He was all concentration. Years later, they met, and Mr. Kissinger faced with his boyhood idol. That symbol of those early years was odd. It was like being a kid and meeting a movie star. I didn't know exactly what to say to him. They became friends. He had a fierce kind of integrity. So Henry Kissinger learned some things about Americans and America thanks to a bunch of Italian guys in a brush factory downtown. They were good to him. They were welcoming, probably when they or their people were new here. Someone was good to them. That's American friendliness. And I know that this has nothing to do with finances, but it does. I get chills when I think about the fact that most of us, I mean, unless you're Native American or, and even, even they are, came from somewhere at some point, we all are truly a melting pot. And this stuff is exciting to me to think about that we can have people coming from all over the country. And I know we get caught up in our worried about the economy, bickering about Republican, Democrat. But on a week like July 4th, it is kind of exciting when you know you have the Olympics coming up at the end of July. You've got articles like this coming from a, a political columnist. And it does kind of remind you that we are all in this together. And I haven't had that feeling, you know, it's really since September 11th. I know we all kind of came together and saying, God bless America. But um, it does kind of good to step back and, and kind of remind ourselves that we're all in this together and that it's good to have such a great country that we're in and so many opportunities. Okay, I'll get back on point now, Bo. I can see you're kind of looking at me like, why is he so so sentimental about this? Do you have some thoughts or are you just no, picking No, no, I me? completely agree with you. I kind of, I'm touched. So, okay, we will roll into the actual topic. Let's talk about some debt and mortgages and how this is such a unique time with the mortgage industry right now. Um, we got an email from uh, Michael. Michael's actually here in Atlanta. He said um, he, he gave some pleasantries congratulating Bo on his nuptials. But then he said, I had a, a thought for a potential show topic. Did you guys see the article in Forbes earlier this month about the argument of whether to pay off your mortgage or not? Here's the link, and I'll get Nikki to put this link out there. It's actually from Forbes, and it's titled, Why You Might Never Want to Pay Off Your Mortgage. It's kind of the Dave Ramsey versus Rick Edelman debate. Where do you guys stand on this issue? Maybe you could also address buying a second home once you, your first house is paid off and whether it makes sense to go back into debt with a mortgage for the second home. As Buffett said, it's like shorting the dollar, and of course rates have nowhere to go but up. Ramsey would want you to pay cash for the vacation home, but in today's interest rate environment, does that make sense? Just a thought. Hope you both have a great summer. So... That made me sound like a little Casey Kasem a little bit there, <laughs> talking about old references. But, well, I wanted to answer that question. Michael, these interest rates do have me rethinking a lot of things. Uh, you know, you guys, if you've been listening to the podcast, since we started this show, there has been a progression on thoughts towards mortgage debt as well as interest rates. I, I can remember we started doing this show in 2006. I can remember back then that was the, the white-hot center of the real estate marketplace meaning that it was not uncommon for your house to appreciate 10% a year, maybe even 15%, depending on how good the year was right. that year. And so with that, you were thinking, hey, my, these home equity lines that are prime minus a half, that's right, they were doing prime minus back then. Why do I even need to have cash reserves? Because I've got six figures worth of home equity over here that I can tap into and be half of what prime is. And prime's not even a bad interest rate right now. 
So a lot of people didn't have any liquidity, no cash. They were using their leverage as kind of their safety net. I was one of those people in full disclosure. I mean, I was saving gobs of money in my retirement accounts. My joint accounts, I was just throwing everything I could into investments because I was like, who needs cash when I've got six figures worth of liquidity and equity in my house? I can, you know, I got a home equity line. I could go stroke a check for close to $100,000 if I needed it. So who needs a safety net? Right. What did we find out? The houses really hadn't appreciated as much as we thought because the, the music stopped. Somebody moved out a lot more chairs than just one in this game of musical chairs of life. And a lot of the housing prices tumbled, including mine. I mean, I, I bet my house, it's tumbled 50%. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it definitely has totaled 50, to, tumbled 50%. Guess what happens when your house tumbles 50%? And I was just glad that we caught onto this trend before everybody else. And we started telling our listeners, hey, if you got home equity lines, you need to, to either go ahead and sure up your your cash reserves, because they're probably, you're going to get a letter in the mail in the not so distant future saying, just kidding, you don't really have this equity, so you cannot use that as your safety net. So make sure you plan accordingly, that you have liquidity, that you have things in case the hot water heater breaks, in case your car goes on the fritz and you need to get another car. You need to have enough money to cover medical emergencies, or if you lose your job. Lord knows in this economy, you need to have some savings for three months at least six months if you're going to have a hard time getting a job. So when that music stopped and you got those letters from the bank saying, Get, just kidding, There's, you, we're not giving you access to that phantom equity that you once have. I think our listeners were hopefully prepared for that. But it has changed and evolved the thought process that now we know cash reserves are very important. Well, we have a new thing to think about now. Interest rates have hit an all-time low. I mean, do you can't believe how low interest rates are. I mean, I saw that the average, this was as of yesterday, I saw an article that the 30-year mortgage, I think, was 3.6. Right. It was like the national average, like 3.63 or something like that, right in that range for a 30-year mortgage. The 15-year had dropped down to, I think it was like 2.79, 2.8, somewhere in that range. That's crazy. Um, that, that is unheard of. I used to be one of these people that told you only to really look at 15-year mortgages. That's what I have currently. I love 15-year mortgages. I have about 11 years, maybe 10 years left on my 15-year mortgage. It's incredible. When I get those monthly statements, I see how much principal I've been paying down. Um, the joke that I always get a few giggles out of from when I'm talking to other financial professionals is that I've been prepaying all my negative equity You know, as, as, the, as the house has gone down in value. I have now rethought that. With interest rates being as low as they are, if you have not refinanced, and I'll repeat that, if you have not refinanced and taken advantage of what's going on out there, this is the bell ringing. This is the time to do it. And don't do the 15-year mortgage. That's right, I said don't do the 15-year mortgage. Interest rates are so low right now, I'd prefer for you to do the 30-year because you're not going to get lower than where we are right now. Do the 30-year, and if you want to pay it off in 15 years, pay it off in 15 years. But go ahead and get yourself the freedom of, freedom of that 30-year mortgage rate just in case something crazy happens in the economy. Or Bo, do you, you have any thoughts on this that, you know, you know, the, the, about me kind of changing my tune on the 15-year versus the 30-year rates? No, it is funny. I mean, even in, in as recent memory as, you know, 2008, we were talking to clients about, hey, go ahead and do a 15-year, get it paid off quickly. But now the spread there, I mean, what would you say? The national average is 36 
versus 2.7. I mean, that spread really, the flexibility of being able to adjust a mortgage over an additional 15 years doesn't really make it worth it. So yeah, I, I kind of completely agree that a 30 year is kind of the way to go. Give yourself some flexibility. And if you want to, pay it off as quickly as you can, um, but at least give yourself the option to not have to if you don't need to. Now, a lot of you are like, Brian, I thought you were an anti-debt guy. I know you're not Dave Ramsey, but you're still anti-debt. And I'll tell you why I've had this, this thought process. Most of our incomes kind of alternate, you know, rotate throughout the year. I mean, mine's very cyclical. I will tell you, first quarter to, to probably right at the beginning of the second quarter, I have, I'm most flush with money coming in, with just the way billing is and the way I have to renew all my software here at the company's own. There's the least amount of needs on my money that, that first part of the second quarter. Whereas at the end of December, around Christmas time, it seems like right there at year end, I've got all of my software needs to be renewed, all my contractual obligations where I have to pay all these consulting fees and other things to people where I pay them retainers, that seems to all be due at the end of the year. Plus you throw on top of that Christmas, Christmas gifts, Christmas bonuses to all my employees. These things all play into where I'm not as flush with money at the end of the year. So by going to a 30-year amortization table gives you a little freedom in that month where maybe money's not a little tighter for you. But then guess what? Months that things are good, if you want to, you can still pay off your mortgage that much quicker. Um, it's one of those things where I just think it gives you the opportunity. Plus, what happens? You lose your job. You can pay the mortgage down like it's a 15-year mortgage, but if you lost your job, now you can drop back and treat it like it's a 30-year mortgage and you have an additional cash flow. It just gives you a lot of freedom that I, I, in the past I have told people I'd rather you just take the lower interest rate. But I think right now with where we are on the historical side, I'm doing something different here. And I'm recommending it to you guys. Also, this is a great time if you have not refinanced because you've been told you're underwater. This is a great time for you to go look at. There's a new HARP program, HARP 2. 2.0 is out. Um, you know, and I've got some information from Clark Howard. You know, I'm a big fan of Clark Howard. He's a local guy here in the southeast, here in Atlanta. Um, consumer advocate, um, kind of a consumer watchdog. This is what he says. People who've stayed current on their home mortgages in spite of being way upside down have some rays of hope on the horizon. One of the untold stories in American housing is that people have over overwhelmingly kept up on their mortgages unless they lost their job or had a medical emergency. For all the fuss about strategic defaults, where people just choose to walk away from the homes based upon their financial picture, there have been rel relatively few in number. In late 2011, I told you about a program called the Home Affordable Refinance Program 2, HARP 2, designed to help underwater homeowners who stayed current on their mortgage through thick and thin. Now HARP 2 has finally started up. To qualify for HARP 2, your mortgage must have been sold by June 1st of 2009 to either Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac. Find out if your loan is held by either of these con by contacting the Fannie online or at 1-800-7-FANNIE. And that Fannie is F-A-N-N-I-E. And Freddie online at 1-800-FREDDIE. And that's F-R-E-D-D-I-E. You can call there and they can um, hook you up and tell you if you're on a, either a Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac loan. In addition, you must be current for the last six months with no more than one missed payment during the last 12 months. Plus, you have to owe at least 80% of your home's current value. And this must be your first HARP refinance. Um, if you qualify, exactly how fast you'll receive help from your lender can vary widely. 
but you also may be able to find a new lender willing to do your refinance if you remain current. It says, meanwhile, another program I told you about earlier this year, that's the FHA, the Federal Housing Administration Streamline Refinance Program has now begun. Here's a quick overview of that program too. It says, it lowers your interest rate by a meaningful amount, no verification of income or employment necessary, no credit check, and no appraisal of your home is necessary. You must have a timely mortgage payment history for the last 12 months. And Bo, that's exactly what you did, that's correct? That's exactly right. I, I did a streamline a few months ago, and it, it really was that easy. Uh, low cost and then straightforward. I think it only took maybe a month or two from for start to finish to get the whole process done. Now that I've got everybody all excited about refinancing, I do want to give you a few exceptions because I, I want to, you know, even though we can't give specific recommendations because this isn't an entertainment show, um, I do want to give you two exceptions. Is if you're one of these people... They just refinanced six months ago. And you now you're hearing me say, talk about the historic lows. I'm not talking about you going to refinance again because there is a problem when you refinance over and over again. Every time you refinance, you reset your amortization tables. That's not necessarily a great thing. You also incur a lot of expenses. There are fees that are associated with refinancing, recording fees, loan origination fees, title fees, Lawyers get involved because you have to prepare all the, the, the legal documents. You don't want to be jumping around doing refinances a lot. The other thing is, is if you're a person that's about to retire. That's part of when I, and I think I'm going to touch on this article that was sent to us by Michael just briefly. But a lot of people who are getting close, to, I don't, getting close to retirement, I don't consider you truly retired until you're completely debt free. Because that is, it's a cloud hanging over your head when you have a mortgage. We had a conversation with a couple um, just a few days ago, and that's kind of one of the things they're in retirement, and they still do have a mortgage. And I think that's what does give them this feeling of uncertainty, is it, it's kind of that they, don't, they know they're still carrying some of that debt. So if you're one of those people, I still would like you to try to become debt-free. It gives you a lot of opportunity on that. Um, let me roll into this article that was in Forbes. It talks about, you know, should you just constantly refinance your house? I don't know if I completely agree with that, by the way. I guess I'll read some of this. It says, a couple of weeks ago, this is um, why you might never want to pay off your mortgage. It's in Forbes. It was published in May, May 8th of 2012 by Eric Carter. It says, a couple of weeks ago, I responded to a couple of questions about paying off your mortgage early. This week, I got the opposite question. Given record of low mortgage rates, does it even make sense to ever pay off your mortgage at all? No, I don't mean making your mortgage payments, although even that can make sense under some limited circumstances. Oh, no, wait, I misread that sentence. It said, no, I don't mean not making your mortgage payment, although even that can make sense under some limited circumstances. I'm referring to a strategy of refinancing your mortgage to a new 30-year loan every 10 years or so. I don't know if I love that idea. Um, you would then use the cash savings to pay down higher interest rate or invest for higher returns. I don't know if I love that part either because you're taking something that is a locked-in rate, I don't know, to put it out to something that could be volatile. It could be great. That's leverage is what that is. Leverage is what got us in trouble in 2008. I don't know if I would you know, recommend a lot of people doing that. This approach has been advocated by financial guru Rick Edelman, by other financial gurus, but other financial gurus like Susie Orman and Dave Ramsey recommend the opposite, paying your mortgage off as soon as possible. So who's right? Well, as usual, it depends on your particular situation. Let's take a look 
at some of the potential costs and benefits. So um, Mr. Eric goes through, he first talks about if you have PMI, and I think this does make sense. If you have, if you're one of these people that has PMI, maybe you, you refinanced a number of years ago or purchased a few years ago, you didn't have 20% at the time in equity, so you're carrying this PMI um, premium that you're paying, and you now have either enough equity or some opportunity to refinance into a product that doesn't charge you this PMI, then it definitely makes sense to, to consider looking at doing the refinance option. He goes on and he says, here's some other things you need to take a look at. How long will it take you to recoup any upfront costs? And first it says, check to see if your lender charges a prepayment penalty. You know, I see this whenever I'm reading anything about mortgages. Have you ever seen a prepayment penalty in a contract? I, I have not. Doesn't mean they're not there, but I haven't come across it. So, okay. We'll do the same thing that we hear everybody else say, I guess, for somebody who has a mortgage maybe from the 1950s. I mean, well, I don't even know when you would have a mortgage. Maybe it's people with bad credit. Right. But um, first check and see if you have prepayment penalties. I don't, I have not seen those. I don't even know who charges prepayment penalties. It says second, there are various closing costs. So you'll have to pay up front. These can include an application fee, which ranges from $75 to $300, a loan origination fee, which can be anywhere up to 1.5% or more of the loan principal, points that can be up to 3% of the loan principal, an appraisal fee, which is three dollars to $700, an inspection fee, $175 to $350, an attorney review and closing fee, which is $500 to $1,000, title search and insurance, which can be $700 to $900, and a survey fee up to $400. By the way, you don't have to do all those fees. Um, when I look at this, there could be an there are application and recording fees loan origination depending upon the loan balance the bigger your balance the less the loan origination should be by the way guys um, we typically don't like to see it be more than one percent but if you have a larger balance meaning if you have balance over two hundred thousand i like to see that come below one percent um, the appraisal fee they've got it from three to seven hundred dollars we typically see somewhere around three to four hundred dollars on that I'm an attorney, review and closing fee. I guess it probably depends on where you are geographically, but he's got 500 to 1,000. I typically see in the southeast down here, you can get that fee down to four, 450, somewhere in that range. Um, he says you can see closing costs that are called no-cost refinancing, but this just means that the lender will either roll the costs into your loan or cover them and charge you a higher interest rate, so you'll pay them one way or another. One thing I always tell people when you're looking at closing costs, because it's hard because a lot of people will go, they're in a 30-year mortgage. They've been in this 30-year mortgage for the last six years. They'll go do a refinance, get a good faith estimate from a lender, and they'll see, okay, so let's say their, their mortgage or principal and interest payment right now is $1,500 a month. They'll go get an you know, get a, a good faith analysis from a mortgage broker, and the mortgage broker will tell them that their new payment's only going to be $1,100. And they go, wow, I'm saving $400 a month. No, 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 no. Not necessarily. This is what this is what we tell our clients. You've got to do an apples to apples analysis, and because you're not remember, if you've been paying, say you had a thirty year mortgage, you've been paying for ten years. Now you're going to another thirty year mortgage. You're going to be paying ten years longer than you would have been if you'd have just kept paying on that mortgage that you'd already been paying for for the last few years. So that's why you can't compare the fifteen hundred you were paying to the eleven hundred of the new loan because remember there's ten years of additional payments there. So this is what we tell our clients to do. And we actually do it for them. And if you know how, and we can, I'll get Nikki um, to, to publish a calculator that I know of. Nikki, we can show people how to balance off when the break even is. But here's the way you can do it yourself manually. 
determine how many months are left on your current mortgage. Meaning that if you're on a 30-year mortgage and you've been paying for the last 10 years, it was originally 360 months. That's a 30-year mortgage. 30 years times 12 months is 360 months. If you've been paying for 10 years, you've only got 240 months left on your mortgage because that's 20 years times 12, you're coming up with 240 months. So I always tell people what you wanna do is take what your current balance is to pay it off, whatever that balance is, take your new interest rate, and then use as the length of time that you go do the amortization or on your financial calculator, your end number. Use what's left, the number of months left on your existing mortgage. Don't go by the 30 years on the new mortgage, go by your existing years that are left, and that will give you a payment. Now compare if your payment's $1,500 currently, whatever you calculated, say it's $1,350. If you were still paying it off in 20 years, you know that that interest rate savings is actually gonna save you $150 a month. You can total up all the closing costs, make sure you exclude the prepaids, like your, your property taxes, your insurance, your homeowner's insurance, make sure you take those out of your closing costs because those are considered prepaids. But whatever all the other costs, the recording fees, the attorney's fees, the loan originations, divide that total number by that monthly savings. So in my example, $150, that will tell you how many months that you have to stay in this house to break even. That's the break even analysis. I tried to take something I consider a pretty simple complex, I mean, a, a pretty simple concept, but I don't know if it translated into radio. Did I do a good job with that? No, Bo, I think, or it, I think it, it was pretty straightforward. Um, that turns it into an apples-to-apples apples analysis. Um, it goes on in the article. It says, what are you going to do with the extra cash? You know, and this is important, I think. You know, a lot of these people, you heard him talking about when he did the, the intro, there are people that will recommend to, to take advantage of leverage, meaning do cash-out refinances if you have equity, and go and put that money into an investment or something. I don't think that's a great idea. That's what got this country in trouble was all this leverage debt. Doesn't mean that it wouldn't work out well. I just don't know if you need to take on that additional risk when there's a question mark on something that is your home. This is what provides shelter to you at night. This is what keeps the rain off of you. So why would you take that, that risk with something that's so important to your fundamental, fundamental comfort? So I would be very careful about doing that. Now, I do think it, that if there are things that maybe you have a child that's about to go to college and you can refinance and it will lower your monthly payments, doesn't mean you have to lower your monthly payments, but maybe you need a little additional flexibility in your cash flow because now you got to help start you know, paying for college and some other expenses. It might be okay that you have that additional flexibility. But remember, when you send the kids to college, they can get student loans. You cannot get a loan for retirement. Always keep that in the back of your mind. Always tell people also, when you're figuring out how much to invest and how much to pay off on debt, I like people, and if it freaks people out when I tell them this, but I really do believe it. I think you need to be saving 15 to 20% of your gross income for the future. That could be going into retirement accounts. It could be going into a, a savings account. It could be going into an investment account, but it has I, that 15 to 20% is money you're putting aside for the future. After you do that, I like to then see people, yeah, let's pay down some debt. Let's get that debt taken care of. You know, you shouldn't have credit card debt. Credit cards should be paid off on a monthly basis. I'm not a big fan of people carrying balances on their credit cards. Car loans, 
I really don't love car loans, but sometimes it's hard not to have a car loan when they offer you 0.9% financing or 1.9% financing. I'm guilty of that. Sometimes I've had cash, but when they offer me such a low, low deal, I find other, other uses of that cash, you know, whether it's bolstering up, you know, cash reserves or whether it's um, taking advantage of some other retirement savings opportunity. But um, typically I don't like having those non-deductible interest debts out there on, the, on, on your personal financial statement. So these are all things that you need to take into account. But was there anything I haven't addressed really on, on considering to refinance or, or paying down debts that you, you can think of? No, the, the only thing that I would add in there is if, if you're in a certain life situation, meaning if you have a big chunk of cash and you're trying to decide, okay, do I pay off my current mortgage or do I leave this in cash? I think you have to ask yourself, how long am I going to be in this home? We have a client who's going through the same situation right now. They have the cash to pay off the mortgage, but we're saying you got a super low interest rate. You may want to keep that cash just, just off to the side to give yourself some flexibility if you are thinking about changing communities, moving into a new house. It just gives you some options. So just remember, once you, and not that it's a bad thing, but once you put money into your house, it's hard to get it out. There's it's, no guarantee that you can get it out. Yeah, because it's, it's in a pretty illiquid, especially in this economy, a pretty illiquid investment. We had a client who had a home equity line, and they were really wanted to ex pay that home equity down very quickly because they were like, what if interest rates start going up? I'm nervous about having this home equity line here, and if it, interest rates go, start going up dramatically, I don't want to be caught. Well, we've told them because when we looked and they didn't have a huge emergency reserves and I started getting nervous for them. I said, look, I would rather you build up those emergency reserves instead of accelerating that home equity line. Because what happens if you lose your job? You know, all this extra money you're piling into this home equity line to pay it down because of something that could happen with interest rates going up. They're not going to, you're not going to be able to call the bank up and say, by the way, you know, all that, you know, that $20,000 I gave you over the last two years on that home equity line. Can you um, send that back because I just lost my job and I'm, um, I kind of need that money now? They're not, they, they'd laugh at you. They'd be like, no, that's it. you're even a higher risk. We might even want more money from you now. So you, you can't even have that phone call. I'd rather you have that $20,000 over here in the bank than if you lose your job. You've got $20,000 to help you carry that period of time to make it through that period of unemployment and not have to have that uncomfortable situation. And then worst case scenario, or, or I guess say best case scenario, is if you don't lose your job, you've built up all this cash over on the side, and then interest rates do start going up, your fear, guess what? Go take that 20 grand, then pay it down. When that actual fear that you have becomes a reality, you still have options. And what we found is if you're using these high yield, it's ridiculous to say high yield right now with where interest rates are, but these high performing money market accounts and savings accounts that you can do through some of the internet banks. Um, I, I know you, you use... Dollar Savings Direct is one. I, I use fmbodirect.com. There's, go to, go to um, uh, the... the Bankrate.com? Bankrate.com is always a great resource to go see who's paying the most right now because I know R2 are not the best. I think the, the, the new name for GMAC is... Oh, they renamed themselves. They have the best rates right now from what I can tell. They came up with some new name for themselves. If you go to bank rates, you'll be able to see what that is. Um, they're paying more than I think most other banks are. But you'll find that there's not much of a separation between what you're paying on your home equity lines if they're right at prime or prime minus a half or a prime minus a quarter and what they're paying. You might have a 1% premium that you're paying. 
and 1% for having the, the liquidity is priceless. And that's what I try to tell people when you're trying to figure out if you pay down the debt or some other goal, make sure you've funded the foundation of if things got bad. And that's what we try to remind our clients at all times. Um, because I, you know, I know you're trying to take care of that question mark with your home equity line, but remember, they're not going to write you a check if you got into some financial trouble. So that's a one-way street. When you put that money in, it's not coming back out until you sell that property. And that's not an ex exactly an easy proposition at this point in time. So, well, guys, thanks so much for listening to the show today. Um, you know, I, I know we started off with me being a little sentimental about the 4th of July and then the Olympics. And, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to talking to you in two weeks. I'll probably be even more excited because we'll be right on really close to the opening ceremonies being within a week or so from that, that podcast. But thanks for listening. Hope you had a great 4th with your family. If you have any questions, you can write us. You can write me at Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at money-guy.com. Write Bo at B-O at money-guy.com. And always, you can check out our show notes at money-guy.com. Thanks for listening, and also thanks for the great iTunes comments. I had a chance to go look at that in the last week or so, and I was like, wow, we do have some new comments. I really appreciate that. That's what keeps us relevant and keeps us in front of people. So thanks for your time. Have a great weekend. I'm your host, Brian Preston. The Money Guy podcast is hosted by Brian Preston. And Brian Preston is a partner with Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management. Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Securities and Exchange Commission in accordance and compliance with securities laws and regulations. Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Money Guy podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice.